For as long as I've known the NBA, it's been a stars league. But even among the stars, there's an exclusive club. Russell and Dr. J. Bird and Magic. Jordan. Kobe. They're all part of a select group that paved the way for the NBA superstar of today. And some even shared secrets with each other along the way. Join me as I trace the evolution of the NBA icon from the early days. And he said, tell me, Pat, who is Julius Irving? I said, well, Vince, he's the Babe Ruth of basketball. Through the years of icons. We noticed that everything he did looked like Michael. To the moves, to the walk, to the talk. Like, it was like a home, ongoing joke. All the way to today. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Jackie McMullen, and this is the Icons Club. The series premieres on March 18th on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. the ring wrap one show i'm kevin clark joined by two guests today the first one i've potted about only one with for a long time it's ryan russillo he makes his ringer f1 show debut we go through the last two episodes of drive to survive season four on netflix and we use that as jumping off point for the max versus lewis rivalry red bull versus mercedes things we're excited about in 2022, an amazing electric segment. It ends with a James Bond rant about dating apps that you're really, <laughs> you're really going to want to hear. And then Matthew Summerfield joins me. He's the assistant technical editor at Motorsport. He explains technical innovation really simply and really well. We go through the best cars with him. Amazing show. Buckle up. All right, it's time for the big one. Ryan Rosillo, we've gone abroad, fun going abroad. Incredible winter, a lot of Ferrari buzz. Our friends at Haas having some amazing times. McLaren in the mud a little bit. Ryan mm-hmm. Rosillo, welcome to the Ringer F1 pod, buddy. I didn't think this was going to be a political pod. Can we say our friends at Haas? I don't have any friends at Haas. Right, I'm just saying, like I sent out a... A Haas tweet because oh. I didn't I didn't understand their funding, and then I sent out the tweet before I saw season four, and I was yeah. like, I don't know, like how do I handle Haas? Like it it feels like if the Miracle on Ice was made up of you know Murph and and O'Donnell <laughs> and O'Doul, and then also there's a Pavel and a Fedorov in there as well, a Bure. So I don't I don't know what to do with with Haas now. Well, it sounds like they're going to be okay. Um, Mick Schumacher and Magnuson are way more likable than Mazepin. There are no Mazepins. There, there's no one from the Mazepin family still associated with, with Haas. Oh, okay. So I'm we're good. good about it. We're, we're, we're good. Great. Yeah. Mazepin, you could tell the way that season four was edited. The people wanted you to know, this guy fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Mazepin was cut from the team in a press release. Gunther didn't even call him. Yeah, because the father was going to... There's some serious nepotism in F1, which again, is my first year really <laughs> learning about it. I mean, this is... This is like, I'm not going to say the joke, but let's just say there were certain decisions made at a time where you were like, why? Like, that guy doesn't even look work here and we're hiring his kid. And so you'd be like, what fuck? And so then you're like, wait, guys are like, I'm going to pull my funding for your chassis and, yeah. and gearboxes if my kid 
And so Mazepin, we, we shouldn't lead with this, but let's just make sure that people understand this is not going to be a political podcast. So that's good. It's good to know. <laughs> All right. So we're here to do a couple things. The, the, the biggest uh, task at hand is recapping episodes nine and 10 of Drive to Survive. It's been a year since you got into this thing. Episodes nine and 10 are some of the biggest drama in modern F1 history. Um, it basically recaps the, the last two races of the season. It recaps the end of the most thrilling title race, certainly since I've been watching the sport, which is, what, four or five years. And for a lot of people, you'd have to go back decades to find anything like this, at least a decade. Um, this was amazing stuff. Your first takeaway from and let's start with with, with, with episode nine. Let's not get to um, let's not get to the, the the last lap and the controversy and all that stuff. It sets the stage where Lewis Hamilton comes out and says, "I have a track record of not crashing with people." Max pushes the envelope. It feels like everybody was playing their character in these last two episodes, Ryan. All right, this is this season was incredible. I, I don't know if the budget was increased to the shots alone should win awards. Um, and then I didn't quite realize that in my first full end-to-end season of F1, it'd be like somebody going to Kirk Gibson's home run in 88 off of Eckersley, yeah. and that's their first live sporting experience, right? And then they sit there for nine, you know, whatever, however many innings, and then be like, is it like this all the time? It'd be like going to <laughs> Texas at Texas Tech when Graham Harrell and Crabtree connect to beat yeah. Texas and Lubbock. And then you're like, is this what every college football game is like? I could go on and on, but I don't know that any of them do a service to what this season was. So then on top of it, to have the bird magic of F1 and Verstappen and Hamilton, which is a little different because it's different generations and Hamilton's run through all this. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, who am I actually rooting for? Because at first I'm like, well, I don't want to just root for Mercedes. That seems lame. And then I think the other thing that I think makes it feel like any other American sport Kevin, is that, you know, I haven't known what a catch is for years. We add in more replay and all it does is make the game boring and fuck up everything. It doesn't solve any deals. And as I'm watching all of these crashes all season long, whether it's Raikkonen on the call or somebody else, none of them agree. So I never know who's at fault. I never know what to make of it. So in the the final, the penultimate race, excuse me, penultimate Grand Prix, um, we've got the brake test controversy. where I was stuck in a YouTube wormhole, Kev, trying to figure out, like, did Verstappen break test? Because part of me is like, just like in Dominic and Sue, and he used to kick everybody in the dick. I'm like, you know what? He's one of the best athletes I've ever seen play college football. I think he knows when when he's kicking somebody. I actually do. And so these other people be on Twitter being like, no, his body's just huge. He's flailing as he can't control it. So when people say that Verstappen didn't break test Lewis Hamilton and have him rear-end him, it's like, yeah, but I mean, this is one of the greatest human beings behind the yeah. wheel of a car at a seven plus billion of us. It's, it's, uh, it is, it defies logic that he wouldn't have known what he was doing. I, I've been watching, I've gotten in a wormhole of Nico Rosberg, who's got a great YouTube page. He just gets in the sim and just goes through different tracks. And is like, here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. And he's just kind of messing around on one of the laps and the control he has over the car when he's just kind of playing around, like he can't actually screw up. Like he's just going through a slow lap and he's like, let me stop right here, show you what to do. And then he's like perfect on the curb, all of this stuff. The, even in the sim, even a guy who's been retired for five years, these guys know exactly where to put their car. And you see that even when like Esteban Ocon is leading a race, you see they never go wide. They, uh, it, they, they just know every, these are the 20, in most cases, they're 20 of at least the 50 best drivers in the world. Obviously, when there's a pay driver, that, that's a different conversation. If they're a super pay driver like Mazepin, then it's an extremely different conversation. But these are unbelievable drivers. And so I don't believe in coincidences and and those sort of things when it comes to Verstappen versus Hamilton. So, you know, the other part of this, and well said, is that, you know, you're sitting there and you're going, all right, well, who do I like better? You know, and then I feel like if I'm if I'm rooting for Lewis Hamilton, it's like getting into baseball in the late '90s. Going, I like the Yankee logo. I'll root yeah. for them. You know, it's like but it's Paul like being O'Neal. it's like being from South Florida and rooting for the fucking Cowboys. You know, and then being like, oh, there's a lot know, of that. There's a right. lot of that going around. Uh, well, uh, you know, or like, hey, who are your favorite teams? I like Duke. I like the Bulls. I like <laughs> I like the Yankees and Cowboys, but the Lakers. I kind of like the Lakers if the Bulls aren't good. And you're like, all right, awesome, awesome. I know everything I need to know about you. So I I just I felt like I was leaning Red Bull. And the way it always would turn out is like Max, you know, 
He's got three did not finishes over the course of 21. Mm-hmm. And he's got the crash at Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, not going to work here anymore. All good. Yeah, not going to work here <laughs> anymore. Uh, <laughs> he's got the crash at Silverstone where Lewis just clips him. Yeah. But then Lewis is the first to say he didn't give me any space. And then Red Bull's like, you try to kill our fucking driver. I don't know who to believe. And then Mons is the really bad one where on the call, they're saying that that Max didn't do anything wrong, but it looked pretty clear yeah. that once Hamilton was clear of the pit line, he was he was more than within his rights to make it difficult for Max. And I, I think, again, as I, I kind of go through all this stuff and I've thought about it because I watched all these crashes again last night prepping for this after watching the season is – I think the best thing for Max is that everybody's scared to death of what he's capable of. Yes, yes. And that's the value in the way he drives. So you can hate him. You can think he's dangerous. And Mercedes and Lewis and Toto sell that all fucking season that he's this maniac. But there's something that I think is very important. I'm going to finish here. As I remember earlier in an F1 season where Vettel, when he's still driving for Ferrari, okay, because he was Alpha now, he's with Ferrari, or he's Aston Martin, excuse me, right? And um, mm-hmm. And Vettel, who's who's won world championships before, he doesn't let his own teammate pass. And everybody that talks about Vettel doing that in this moment, as I'm first learning about the sport, they're going, there's something about you where you have to be an absolute bastard to be a world champion. And because Vettel's old and he's got a couple of pelts already, it was okay when Vettel does this shit. But here's Max as a new brash guy and challenging the Silver Arrows where everything he's doing is dangerous. And and I'm going to just... To hand it off to you because I it dawned on me after watching the entire season again. I'm like, I don't want to hear about Max anymore because this all plays into his favor and will be a big part of his success in his career. It was amazing after the first crash, the Mercedes crew was Toto and his guys were standing around a corner in a circle. And one of his guys who wasn't Toto was like, this was the, exactly the right lesson for Max to learn because everyone backs off for Max, right? And so maybe it's like almost like a purpose pitch where Max is going to learn not to push it. Max learned zero lessons. He learned zero lessons. He will not be backing out for anybody. He'd rather crash than, than let anybody have an inch on him. It's amazing. You sort of see that. We talked about this last year when, when I'd had my mind changed a little bit when I saw the Schumacher documentary and one, a guy got in an accident with Schumi and Schumi was like, I was in the right. And he did. The other driver was like, has ever dawned on you could be wrong in one of these situations? And Shumi was like, no, it hasn't. And like that to me is how you have to be wired in this, in this sport. Um, By the way, that, wanted- that reminds me of this amazing line I just read the other day where it was like, your knowledge is no match for my ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So uh, Toto and Horner. I feel like these two episodes, and Horner's given some amazing moments to us. Toto, Toto Wolf, the Mercedes team principal, Christian Horner, the Red Bull team principal. They've been going at it for years. It all climaxes in these two episodes. Susie Wolf, Toto's wife, an accomplished driver in her own right, a great motorsports mind, comes in and is just like, oh, it must be so tough for Christian to see Toto having won so many years. Like, it, everybody was doing such a great job. Toto compared Christian Horner to a, uh, a Jack Russell Terrier who will bite at your heels. Uh, they had the press conference where Horner essentially said, we don't have a relationship. Which Horner, I, by I the way, admits in one of the side parts yes. of like, yeah, I antagonized the shit out of those guys. But go ahead. Yes. And he says that's part of the sport. And it's part of the, and you see the working of the refs. Mercedes- uh, had their their car inspected by by Red Bull. Lewis couldn't believe it. He's going around the paddock saying, "Can they do this?" Yes, they can. The working of the refs was happening all year long. You saw there was almost foreshadowing all season long. Whether that was there was a conversation with Michael Massey at one point in episode nine where Christian's working Michael Massey. Massey's not even in the meeting where where the the max penalty is being determined. But there's just everybody's working along the edges the whole time. And, and you can see how everything led up to a complete clusterfuck in the last race of the season in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, like Toto, it's funny. You really start, lo- like, I feel like my level of knowledge is so different because I actually now watched a full season and cared about it in the week. Like, I start reading stuff about it where I watched the first three seasons of the F1 show and I didn't really know what the hell was going on. I also think it is a side, Netflix, F1, they should get together and they should have some sort of tutorial thing. There should be yeah. a standalone episode that's not even a part of any season where there's a tutorial because 
I didn't understand any of it until I actually started watching the races, and I think it'd be valuable. I also thought they were a little skimpish on replaying a lot of the crashes, and specifically yeah. the Monza crash where Max is on top of Lewis, which you pointed out immediately, like Max revving the fucking tires <laughs> while he has no idea if he's on Lewis's head. Every time that was cut, every time that was shown, which was very rare, they didn't like to show a lot of crashes over and over again in the, in the F1 series. They never left us with the one where he drives over the halo as Max is trying to get off the car to see if like, hey, can I actually get back in this race? Because yeah. he doesn't, yeah, I mean, he's, he's there to race. But Toto... <laughs> Like, I don't dislike Horner in Toto, but it reminds me of the void that we have so much in American sports where, like, seeing Durant and Embiid get into it last week, I was thrilled to see it. Because you know why? We don't get to see it that much. And here we are every week, and the new season starting where it's Lewis and Max, Red Bull, Mercedes – that we like it's it's a different sport. It's a hard thing for maybe people to grasp. It's intimidating at first. It was for me certainly, but there's a drama element that goes on yes. with this sport that is that is not only shared but seems to be at another level than we've had the last few years in team sports here in the states. But part of that is there's a a insecurity that is bred by the team element of it, and what I mean by that is you saw Mazepin v Mick Schumacher. And Schumacher has the same car as Mazepin. Schumacher's beating the brakes off of him. And Mazepin's only excuse is, it's not the same car. You guys are screwing me, right? Yeah, right. You're doing it to me on purpose. Right. You're doing it to me on purpose. I'm going to pull the funding. My dad is going to shut down the team, all that stuff. Because you have the same car, and I've made this analogy before, it's the equivalent of if last year, Jimmy Garoppolo got to run an entire season with the, the Niners offense, and so did Trey Lance. And what happens when Trey Lance on Sunday does better than Jimmy Garoppolo with all the same variables, all the same play calls, all the same resources? Then Jimmy Garoppolo starts making excuses. And that's why this, this sport is, is so uh, tilted towards drama, because there's, there's, there's 20 seats. You can lose them easily. There's In Max's case, there's $50 million a year on the line. In team principals' cases, it's tens of millions of dollars. They like their homes in Oxfordshire. Like, there is so much on the line, and there's no hiding. There's no hiding in, in, in Formula One, and that's what I think is amazing. And that's where I, I think that we're drawn to it, that it's the same yeah. element of, of the drama. Like, baseball doesn't have drama that we care about nationally anymore. We do locally. We just don't nationally. The NBA has a lot of national drama that people care about constantly. And here's a sport where the concept is pretty simple. Like, who's got the fastest car? And it involves in this class. And they're they're smart to remind us. Like, this is it. Not that they're the 20 best drivers because you start to learn more about the sport and all the bullshit that goes through it. Like, I'm telling you right now, George Russell, if he looks like Valtteri, He's not in the Mercedes-Benz seat. He's not. Right. Like, th- if it was reversed, where Valtteri looks like George Russell, yeah. Valtteri keeps his seat as the second driver yeah. for Mercedes. So I-, I just love, too, that, like, this is the other part of it, too. And this isn't even an American. It's, it's, I've done rants on this before, is that we, we do navigate through life just kind of hoping to avoid being fucked over. And the times we do get fucked over, we're sort of pre-expecting it. It's why I think college f- football fans are like anxiety-riddled freaks for about four months because they're like, look, my team's really good, but I know the committee's going to fuck me. And you're just expecting it because all these different things that happen to you. You have Mm -hmm. Lewis Hamilton who's won seven world championships acting like he's getting fucked at every turn. And then yet it felt like every decision went against Max and Red Bull early on. Whether Lewis clips him and it's it's a 10-second penalty. Max has another time where it's a during the double yellow flag during qualifying. Yeah, which, you know, look, we if you know Max at this point, he doesn't give a shit. He sees the double yellow and he's like, I have a chance for pole, so I'm I'm not stopping. What was funny about this season is Big Cat had one of the funniest lines when we did this this segment with him last year when he said he asked me if Christian Horner was a Karen. And you know, it's always is that is that legal? I don't, I don't know. Is that legal? And he's you know, kind of alerting things and you got to see everybody turn into a Karen because the drama got so heightened. So it's Lewis, you mentioned the double yellow, Lewis going around in the paddock and saying like, what is going on with this double yellow? Look at these times. They're like, Toto, come look at this. James, come look at this. Ron, come look at this. And I think that you got to see everybody 
in the political element of the sport, I think, right? And that's and and that I think is is important to note is how political the sport can be, and that's why we had the the situation in the last race is that it, it's all politics. It is all politics. By the way, you mentioned the Halo thing. The damage that Lewis's car took on and his helmet and the tire marks on his helmet, I obviously understood the gravity of that situation, but seeing the damage that Lewis took on from Verstappen, that was unbelievable. If that had happened five, it's been said before, but if that had happened five years before and there's no halo, we're talking about severe, severe stuff, man. No, I mean, really, maybe even death and Toto admits. Yes. Like, the funny thing is, if you're listening to us to this point, you know, 15 minutes into the podcast, you're like, oh, are these guys like anti-Toto? And I don't think I am. I think we all need Toto Wolf. Like, we need these guys. And that's what I think is perfect about the way the if you were casting a show, it's cast perfectly. And Toto admits, like, four years ago, I was anti-Halo. And I was like, you know, this is pre-me. You know, I'm thinking like, yeah. oh, what was the argument against? Was the argument against the Halo, the divider support right down the middle that it's okay. somehow like, why would you put this right in the middle of the field of vision for a driver? A, that was one. Number two, it honestly just doesn't look very cool. And number three, and you get this with NASCAR sometimes, there's a segment that doesn't like pure safety. They like the danger element of it. Like the movie Rush starts out with Nicky Lauda, um, played by Daniel Brühl, saying, you know, we're, we're 20 drivers. We have 20 races a year. I'm paraphrasing here. And every year one of us dies, right? So for like 50 years, there was a part where it was like, all right, well, there's, there's this danger element. And you had this in other car racing circuits as well. Thankfully, thank God, that is not the case anymore. Um, and and every even this in Formula One, um, unfortunately, it is in other in other uh, series. But I I think that there are still some of the I I listened to a very famous uh, pundit uh, a couple of months ago for an interview in 2018 who was against the Halo, and he was saying that he was saying I don't think the safest people on the grid at a Formula One race should be the drivers. Um, that that is an actual argument that I've heard. It's very strange, but thank God the Halo's here, and I think that that accident put any of that beyond doubt. And we've we've had accidents in the past that have um, have proven the Halo's worth as well. I think it looks cool, but again, I'm new to this, so I think when they did those slow motion like high res shots where it looks almost like a cartoon and everything shaking. Uh, the shots alone, I, I, it feels like the budget was cranked up quite a bit because of the success of this whole thing. But you're driving this, so keep going in whatever direction because we kind of <laughs> like, I just feel like we haven't gotten to the race yet and I don't know where yeah. you want to go. So I don't want to mess anything okay. up. You're driving. All right. So I want to get to one more thing before we get to the actual race. Uh, number one, Lewis Hamilton freaking out about the cameras. I thought was a really interesting moment. So if anybody hasn't seen it yet or, or missed it, there's a scene where Lewis Hamilton's giving an interview and he's talking to somebody and there's just the, the clicking of cameras over and over and over again and he's freaking out and eventually he just gets up and leaves and says, there's a time and place for cameras. I, I don't want it to be now. I don't think that that was the pressure getting to Lewis Hamilton. I just think that he is, I think at some point someone gets to be too famous and he's crossed that. I mean, LeBron has crossed that. Serena Williams, Messi, Ronaldo. I mean, I've, I've, there's a video of Ronaldo a couple of years ago where he just put a GoPro on to go buy tea at, in like a Madrid mall. And it's the most amazing video I've ever seen. He can't take a sip without someone trying to take a selfie. Um, and so you got to see a little bit of the human element with Lewis because he's always so cool, calm, and collected. It was interesting. I was, I actually enjoyed seeing that human element where he was just like, I can't do cameras right now, guys. Yeah. I mean, and the, and the word is, right? Max isn't doing it next season. Yeah, he's done. Well, he didn't. He didn't really participate this year. He didn't have any on-camera interviews. It was all kind of secondhand stuff with uh, with Horner. But I heard. I and, thought he and, was shutting down even more of that, which is a joke. That's yeah. bad. That's and, a bad look for Max. I agree. And Lewis has an Apple deal now, which hopefully doesn't interfere with this. Hopefully, he understands that this is the show that is the entree point for a lot of fans internationally, not just American fans, but just a lot of people who who are new to the sport. All right, let's get to the last race. Your first takeaway from the new angle of that race. I was intrigued to see every angle of the Latifi accident, which I hadn't really seen. Um, the Latifi accident, which kicked off everything. I had seen a lot of this stuff, the radio stuff, the stuff inside the paddock with, with Mercedes and Red Bull going back and forth on the, last, on the last lap. Was there anything that stood out to you, surprised you, when we're actually talking about the last episode and the last lap? Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a ton. Um, Let's do it. I think the best thing to do is to kind of run through it. Um, yep. 
So Latifi, we're looking at Hamilton leading the race. He's going to win. There's five laps to go. Again, Abu Dhabi here. And Latifi on the radio that we now have access to, because I don't think we would have heard a ton of this during the actual broadcast because we just wouldn't have cared about Latifi's position. Right. You know, They're racing at the back end of this. And the paddock's like, hey, you need to push a little. You need Let's to push. Go. I mean, just lay, look, last race, last couple laps. Yep. You've got this a little last, bit more. Last chance for you to pass Schumacher. <laughs> yeah. So That's what all they said. of this, right. Yeah. All of this is happening. And it, you no, know, look, I'm not telling them and their team that it doesn't mean anything, but it didn't mean all, anything. All fo- it's, it's like politics. All Formula One is local, right? Right. Like all right. that Latifi's race engineer cares about is I don't care what's going on at the front of the grid, I care about Latifi maxing out today right in a williams of all the cars too where you're just (laughs) like you know the williams story has not been a great one the last couple years so latifi slams just he's not even caught up with anybody else slams to somebody else and now it's like okay now it's on and you know we're down to this absolute tiebreaker of a race essentially for the world championship for max lewis and so then this leads to pit strategy because lewis couldn't give away his position so he was he actually was fucked by being in first and then, again, correct anything. I just think it's cool for people to understand the timeline of events here. Maybe yep, aren't even sure. watching and just listen to us. So now you're like, all right, Max has got fresh tires. Lewis couldn't pit. And then Max was ahead enough to be able to make it work. But now he's got Checo in front. Or is that earlier? Yeah. That was earlier, That was right? earlier. Or right. che- Checo holding Hamilton up was a huge inflection point of the race. But that was earlier than this. Right. Checo was... Setting screens, rebound, and diving on the ground yeah. for balls. And Checo, you're right. So that was all Soften- earlier. It was We're- softening him up, quite frankly. It was right. body blows. Exactly. So Checo had held up Lewis earlier to even allow Max to still be in the striking distance, um, but still behind the pit strategy, fresher tires, ready to go. But now we're like, okay, so take it from here. Just take it from here. So it's, well, if he gets in the accident. Yep. And there is a rule, and I'll explain this as maybe as as broadly as possible, just in case, again, you're not a Formula One expert and you've been brought into it. Um, Essentially, two things could have happened there. Either the race would have ended under caution if if all the cars were allowed to lap themselves, or it would have restarted and there would have been five cars between Lewis and Max who had been lapped. So those are the two options that should have happened by the rules. Instead, Michael Massey decided to make up a rule and essentially let the five cars in between lap themselves, unlap themselves, but nobody else was allowed to unlap themselves. So that led to one kind of, Lewis Hamilton used the word manipulated, I'll use it too. That led to one manipulated uh, lap to determine the world championship. I was explaining this. I actually saw at, at Sloan a couple weeks ago, I saw Haberstrow and those guys because he's into the rule stuff. And I was explaining this. And he was like, we, we came to the conclusion. It'd be like if the Bucks went up 3-0 on the Lakers and then Adam Silver was like, actually, next game wins. And they waited for Giannis to have like a knee problem. I right? think that's like an that's- aggressive. I think that's aggressive. I okay. think that's a bit of an exaggeration to be like, it is a bit of an exaggeration. And, um, Maybe 2-0. Did- did Haberstroh suggest that guys miss every other race just to stay fresher? I like Tom. We didn't, we didn't I had get to. into the, the, the load management. To. That's All aggressive. Right. I, I'll, I'll back off on that a little bit. It is kind of tongue in cheek. What, what is it more? I know. What is it more I, like? I don't know. It's like when I mean Hamilton everybody, everybody won, in the it, building knows that it was a fumble and it wasn't it, or something like that. Yeah. That's if what you it run like. it, if you run it, if you run that scenario a thousand times, there's now a whole lot reverse happen comes out on top. Okay, okay, all right. Like so that. just just so you explain, because I'll admit when I watched it live, and then the controversy after, and then Massey telling off Toto essentially, because Toto's losing his mind. Toto is like a villain at the end of some movie where you're just like everything's falling. stolen from him. He was right, getting right, the right, championship right. stolen from him. And he's screaming and yelling. But can you point out again? Because I don't think everybody caught this. The lapping, the unlapping. Basically, yeah. what they were saying is, no, 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 you go ahead of the yes. pace car, the safety car yes. in this case. Sa- safe safety car. And it and normal protocol would have been you unlap yourself, but still with only a lap to go 
and Verstappen allowed to pass all these cars, that's just a lot of work to do. He doesn't have to overtake them, right. but they have to get out of his way. And that's just right. like a thing that's going to take a couple turns to happen, even if he's allowed to do it. So basically, they were told to get ahead and get out of the ahead. way. And get now it's one-two. So it could be straight track. racing. As straight Michael racing. Massey, exactly. who made the decision, said, we're going car racing. It's called we're car going, racing. We're, right. go, we're, we're going car racing. It's a motor race. Yeah, it's a motor race. We're going car, car racing. Lance Stroll had a, was actually a great narrator in this because he was like, wait, they're unlapping the safety car. And then they're like, no, Lance, that's just those five cars. And he was like, all right, brother, like <laughs> whatever. And you saw like George Russell sent the tweet immediately. Like the drivers in the back were just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, that's I'll tell you, once I saw that, it's the best point that you've made and you've made many. But once you have people like I defer to the people that do it for a living. Yes. You know, it doesn't mean they're right all the time. And we just pointed out, we've seen an entire season of all the parties telling everyone else they're getting fucked over and that everybody else is wrong and they're right. But when the guys that really had nothing to gain or lose out of it, although I thought originally when Russell tweeted in favor of Hamilton, you're like, well, no shit. Well, that was, teammate. Yeah. But when Stroll, who was not a major player in season four, no, <laughs> we'd admit the Stroll family. No surfing. We didn't see any surfing. No, not well represented in season four. When his, when his radio was like, what? Are they yeah. doing? So it's not that you're just getting out of the way. It's like, no, no, get out of the way now, and we've got a lap to go. And that's the part where I don't care if you're a Max fan or a Red Bull fan. You have to know deep down that if you're breaking protocol well, and the guys that do it for a living are like, what the fuck are they doing? Then what's the argument anymore? So, yeah, so Mercedes got fucked. The other day, they closed the loophole that this will basically never happen again. That's they another reason why it's they, a pro they also Mercedes removed- argument. They removed Michael Massey from his post. The FIA removed Michael Massey from his post. I mean, it's like, I, you know, it's like when Joey Crawford got suspended, you know, like they were just like, all right, buddy, this is a little too much for you. Um, it was like so a Mike Carey I, moment. We're like, I have that as a catch. <laughs> like, let's go down to the field. Like, incomplete, third down. <laughs> Michael Massey like, should ah. be a rules official for Sky going forward. Carey went like 0 for 30. Like he had a just an absolute DiMaggio streak at one point. You're like this. He was just feel bad for him. Like, oh, I hope they can at least. I hope he's got this one right. Okay, so Max wins the title. Most people knew that by now. There's the full celebration. Mercedes Lewis at the time said this has been manipulated. I agree with him, as I said earlier. They do the whole celebration, and then they get to what I think is the best scene in the history of the show. Which is out of Total, nowhere. Total yes, dressed as Out of pockets. nowhere, wearing different clothing that he'd ever worn. He must have shown up to the studio in like January, months after anything had happened, and with a roll neck sweater, turtleneck, whatever you want to call it, whatever they got going on in Germany, and just said, they said, does Red Bull have a target on their backs next year? And he said, everyone has a target on their backs next year. Toto, who has had some, as I said, he said the diplomacy was over, I think, after Mexico. But I didn't know he was going to have an extra scene in Drive to Survive where he shows up months afterwards just to talk shit. That was awesome. I couldn't believe it because his face was different. <laughs> it's a different like he, person. He just looked different. It's like a guy that you thought was dead and then he shows up in the sequel. And you go, what's going on here? Like and a, then again, like Sprockets. Blinders. Do you watch Peaky right. Blinders? Yeah. Tom Hardy's character has died like three times and they just shows up. <laughs> That's what it felt like. That's, yeah. And, you know, you're sitting there and I was like, okay, this is great. And I knew immediately you were just screen grabbing stuff left and right. <laughs> uh, and you've already shared some of that content with us. But to me, the success of this entire brand of something that's brand new to me you know like i love it because i don't really have to know what the fuck i'm talking about that much that's right you know i I'm, I'm not trying to get everything right i just want to enjoy it and it's weird as i get older i start to enjoy stuff that i don't have anything to do with more yeah. so than when it's like hey these are all the things that i have to do and i have to be on top i, of I agree I with to, that right you know it's why i like mma a lot because i'm just like you yeah. know hey i like that guy better than that guy and i don't want to hear about the fucking I, vorp i went to the ac tournament last week in, in Brooklyn and Miami was playing and I don't know a damn thing about college hoops. And I could not have enjoyed it more. I was just like, I don't know who these guys are. I know their names. I know coach yeah. Larinaga's coaching them up and I, I got an IPA and I was just a huge dumbass for two hours and it felt amazing. 
Yeah, good for you, man. Good to just living out there living. Uh, but I, I <laughs> feel right. like I feel like I like okay. Horner more than I did. Oh, okay. I think I like. Yeah, Max that was my next question. Did you change your I mind did. on anybody this season, Max and Horner? I kind of like that Max is a psychopath. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So let's spin it forward here for the last few minutes. I don't. I, I, I'm still Team Lewis in that particular rivalry. Yeah. Let's no, spin it forward here for the yeah. For the last for the last uh, thing we're going to do, couple things you're looking forward to in the 2022 season based off of what we've seen in the last ten episodes, or just on the winner, what whatever it is. I mean, like I guess you'd start with Max versus Lewis round two. Do you think there's because That's the way obvious. it ended like, because without saying, well, but but it just but, is. but 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 because the way it ended is there strangely more pressure on Max, or is he just going to be like I'm a world champion? Fuck y'all. What are you trying to say? Like bubble title? A little bit of bubble title. Yeah, I would say a little bit of bubble title. Then I want Max to get a real one, if that's what people are going to say. All right, a let's ring? go ahead. A real ring? Right, but Checo, I, I Checo like, Perez, Anthony Davis in the scenario? I don't know. Checo. Checo just watching that last race again and Checo doing what he did. And by the way, do you know that he didn't finish? He withdrew so that the car wouldn't yeah. be. Yeah, I didn't even realize that when I watched Ultimate the race. Ultimate teammate. Yeah, didn't finish just to get out of, get out of the mix. That's why I was, right? Just the mm-hmm. odds of like, hey, we can't win as constructors, so let's just yeah. have a one less car out there. Mm-hmm. That's fucking That's crazy. Okay, all right. So I'd like to see um, everybody's America sweetheart, Daniel Ricardo, bounce back a little bit. I needed mm-hmm. more explanation. I thought he took a real hit in season four, both on the track and off the track with the show, because you could just hear everybody that was connected to McLaren talking about him being like, so what's up with this guy? And then at one point, even Horner was talking to one of the McLaren guys going, he's better than this. Like, what the fuck? What the yeah. fuck is up with him? It's just weird because you can't tell what's real and what isn't. With Ricardo, you want to give him a bit more of the benefit of the doubt, but he's sitting there 10 weeks in going, I don't know how to control this car. Um, I believe Ricardo. I know Sonoda, who I actually liked a lot towards the end of the season. I'm like, Yuki's fun to watch. He's aggressive. He's good. And then you watch the series. You're like, yeah, I don't think I'd want to hang out with him a ton. Um, (laughs) Ricardo needs some sort of redemption here on the track big time because now it's starting to feel like, oh, that funny guy that says dick in jokes and is good looking and laughs all the time. And he he finishes eighth and Lando's twice the driver he is like he needs, he needs to have a comeback year big time. The scene of him getting pissed off after Monaco and going away and stewing on a boat was very, very funny. Because they tr- they travel by by boat, and it was great to see him just getting his little bag. He has a little bag, yeah. and he's throwing it in, and he's just like on a boat in Monaco. That's how they sped away. It was like uh, Urban Meyer on the on the golf cart eating a pizza, except you're on a boat in Monaco. Yeah, it was very F1, because it feels a bit like yeah. James Bond after a breakup, if he cared about a breakup. He's only cared about a breakup with Daniel Craig, which is just a way to modernize the scripts. But that's Yeah, I was going to say, Daniel Craig cared. Yeah, Daniel Craig cared about breakups. All the I guess it's just some way they were like, we got to really balance this out and have him show that he gets bummed out when he breaks up with people, as opposed to all the other bonds that get over it really quickly. I guess that's bad to get over it quickly. I don't know. It depends what you want in a bond. I don't want him on, you know, farmers only. I mean, like, oh, I'm going to be in St. Pete this week. So see if maybe somebody wants to get together for tacos. How's it going, James? Oh, you know, I'm a little busted up. Seeing the Slovakian woman and. You know, just hasn't felt the same. Just haven't been going to the gym. It's James fucking Bond. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you, brother. I hear you. Um, all right. Anything else on F1? Nope. That's it. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, 
Try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive. Because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. One thing I'm really excited about with this show is getting to reach out and have conversations with people who've already made me smarter just as a fan of Formula One over the past couple of years. One of those people is Matthew Summerfield. He works at Motorsport Magazine. He writes about tech in a way that not many other people write about. Technology is so important to this series. And it changes week by week. It's amazing. And what's interesting about right now is we just have the testing period. And there's something called sandbagging, which is teams don't want to do as well as they could. You see that with Mercedes. Mercedes always says we're not doing as well as we could. We're not going to win races this year. You always see that. Don't believe the headlines. You can go back to 2016 and see those headlines. It's a strange dance where... Bad teams want to look better. Good teams want to look worse. It's all very strange. But to walk us through it, Matthew Summerfield, thank you for joining us, buddy. No, no problem. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So let's start here. We're learning a lot of new words over the past two weeks. We've known what ground effect is over the past few decades in Formula One, but now we have porpoising. Now we have side pods, which are along the side of the car and are wildly different depending on how teams interpret the rules. When you've been looking at this testing, knowing teams don't have the finished product, knowing teams are sandbagged, knowing teams are trying to hide something, what are you looking at in testing, Matthew? Um, Primarily, obviously, we've already had the launches of the cars. So we've got lots of interesting new details this year because, as you mentioned, this is probably the biggest rule shakeup we've had in decades. It's a huge amount that the teams have had to go through to try to prepare themselves for this particular regulation set. But when we go to testing, then obviously you've got a lot of things that the teams are trying to hide. Talk about sandbagging a lot, and that is because the teams are trying to hide their performance from one another. And you have to think about things like fuel load, which we don't know. You've then obviously got things like the different tyre compounds, which have an an immediate effect on what performance Mm -hmm. that the, the drivers have to their capabilities Um, and there's just a huge amount of variables that kind of shake up the order so that nobody really truly knows Mm -hmm. where the pecking order is until we we get to the first race most interesting car for you this year is what i'm i'm kind of torn between three and primarily that's because of the side pod designs that we've seen this year compared to what we've experienced in the past so obviously you've got mercedes with their what we're calling zero pods you've then got red bull with a very interesting design uh in terms of the way that there's down washes to the rear of the car and then we've got the really interesting sort of um i'm kind of calling it more of a hot tub design on the ferrari (laughs) because of the way in which the top surface of the side pod is basically concave uh, and you know you've got those louvre the cooling louvers as well so it you know it's a really there's loads of different interpretations this year on that side of things so explain this to me like an idiot, like I'm an idiot because I am an idiot on some of these things. Side pods being one of them. The side pods on the side of the car mean what for the car? Okay, so inside the side pods, which they are what flanks the, the cockpit and then go rearward to the back right. of the car, you have things like the radiators, the intercoolers, and obviously then you bleed inwards towards the, the power unit and of all of the other electronics and whatnot. So basically the function of the side pods is to house components within them 
but then also provide cooling to those components. Mm. And then on top of that, we obviously have the aerodynamics to consider. And so everybody has to trade off these different considerations to get to the kind of design that they're looking at. One of the most interesting things you have to do before testing is look at the photographs from the launch and figure out what's new, what's interesting, um, what are people still hiding? Because there, there's obviously some of that, um, especially even in testing, people are still hiding it. I want to take the listener through the process of, of what you do and how you figure out what has changed um, from year to year when you're just looking at photographs of the launch, Matthew. Okay, so first of all, this year is very different in that respect because we've got a different set of regulations. So you look at things like the front wing and the rear wing, and they are highly defined by the regulations themselves. We don't have the sort of flick-ups and whatnot that we used to have on the old front wings. And the rear wings are very much an aesthetic side of the regulations also in as much as that they do help with the overtaking issue, which is what these regulations are framed to do. But when then you look elsewhere around the car, as you mentioned, there's a lot of things that I have to try to decipher. Things like the side pods have been extremely interesting this year, not only because we expected the teams to try to converge on solutions, i.e. we thought they would be very much similar in the way that they would approach things, but we've probably got nine or 10 different solutions uh, from all of the different teams in in that respect. So, you know, there's a lot going on. And then on top of that, you have things like winglets appearing that you kind of think, well, how are they in the regulations? How have they, they managed to get those on the car? And then you have to kind of sit down and decipher what area in the, the regulations that they're allowed. Manpower is an interesting thing to me because you heard in the middle of last year, okay, Mercedes is not putting all of their effort into 2021. Maybe they, you know, I heard the phrase skeleton crew um, for 2021. And then obviously Red Bull was going all in to to win the the, the World Drivers' Championship last year. And, and that ended up paying off in controversial fashion, but we're not going to relitigate that in this segment. Um, but I'm curious uh, what the push and pull is for most teams. Were most teams putting all of their eggs in the 2022 basket because of the regulations um, where some teams like Red Bull caught a little bit flat footed. Uh, what, what, what are we going to, you know, when we start in, you know, next Sunday or this Sunday, are there going to be teams that noticeably were not as ready for the 2022 season, Matthew? There will be some of that regard. In honesty, most of the teams would have had a huge amount of their resources placed onto this car very, yeah. very early into last season, just purely because of how much has changed on the car, the architecture of everything that we, we're talking about from the suspension. We've got new tyres, we've got new wheel sizes, we've got wheel covers back. We've got everything about the car is a completely different layout to what we've had over the course of the, the last decade or so. And so obviously that means that there's a huge learning curve. And on top of that, obviously, then you've got the difference of resource between each team. Interestingly, though, we do have to consider the fact that now we do have a sliding scale within the regulations that allow the teams from the back end of the grid to have more resources compared to those at Mm -hmm. the front. And so that obviously has a bearing as well on that development race. Is there one thing or a couple of things, as a matter, um, that teams are adjusting to that they are just not ready for? There's a regulation where they're just like, wow, we, we can barely understand this. Well, the, the obvious thing is the poor poison that you mentioned yeah. earlier on. Um, that That's a component of, of the ground effect style of... Yeah. The, ca- the cars are bouncing. Just so the listener knows, the cars are, are, are bouncing in some cases as like a dolphin. That's why they're calling it porpoising down the road because of uh, some of these regulation changes that haven't been adjusted to. Yeah, it's, and it's an ill effect of basically the, the, the car pushing towards the ground under downforce. Right. And then that mechanism then has to pop eventually pops back up, which then obviously causes this cyclic moment of porpoising. Uh, Some teams have done better with it than others. And I think that's a a mechanism based on their decisions based on suspension design and also what they're doing on the edge of the floor. Now, that is one area that I think that we will see a huge development rate on, certainly at the start of the season, as all the teams tried to find out ways in which to both solve porpoising and increase the performance of the cars. One of the things that was really influential in my education as a Formula One fan a few years ago was Adrian Newey's book, How to Build a Car. And and in the beginning of it, he said, when he looks at the regulations, he looks at what they say, but more importantly, he looks at what they don't say. Um, and kind of nibbling around the edges of the rules are are so important in this. Are there loopholes already 
showing themselves? Are there the loopholes you think are going to show themselves this season? And is there anyone, any team or any kind of mind in the sport right now who, like Nui, um, or maybe still is Adrian Nui at Red Bull, is going to to find them kind of our 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 we have Bill Belichick here in uh, in the states who immediately finds a loophole in football whenever there is one. Uh, what's that going to look like this year? I don't think that we'll have the big sort of silver bullet moments that we've had yeah. in some of the other regulatory pasts. You know, like the double diffuser that we had in two thousand and nine, right. or even you know Ferrari's side pod solution that everybody converged towards uh, when they introduced it in twenty seventeen. However. On the other flip side of that, you could argue that what Mercedes have done with their side pods is very much that kind of interpretation. You know, they're taking a look at the rules sideways, laterally, uh, and interpreting them very differently to how some of the others might have done on the grid. Uh, That's not to say that it's the best idea. It's just that it's visually disarming. It looks very different to what the others have got. I'm curious, as someone who understands the sport at such a technical level. Can you even watch Drive to Survive? Like, I, it was amazing to me because when I was in episodes nine and 10, they're obviously showing the last two races of the season. And I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, there's normally not this much racing in this in the show. This show is about Formula One, but there's never actually racing like this because it's normally, hey, look, Lando Norris on a golf course sort of stuff. Can, can you appreciate it at that level or, or does it drive you nuts as someone who knows it so intimately? I'll be blatantly honest. I haven't watched Drive to Survive since Series One. For that that's, exact that's exactly that's exactly what I was looking for as a hardcore fan. Yeah, it, um, it's so difficult for me to watch something that has been. I, I hate to use the word manipulated, but sure. it's kind of not true to reality in many respects. You know, I understand editing from you know a broadcasting point of view and and, and making plot points, etc. But to me, the Formula One already has a huge amount of drama to it. So to try to manipulate that further sometimes just doesn't sit well with me. And as I say, that's why I kind of can't get on the bandwagon, unfortunately. Well, no, it's fascinating because I think that I made this point in the last, our first episode, it's built for, to increase the drama when there is no drama. And so when there is so much drama as there was last year, it's almost ill-equipped to do so. It's almost ill-equipped to actually handle real life drama. And that's what's so interesting about it is that, that if you were just shown the last two races in the full, it'd probably be the exact same amount of drama as these kind of quick cuts, you know, 4k thing. It's just fascinating to see. Um, I'm curious, you know, we have a lot of listeners in the States and I think a lot of people are in different places on their, their F1 journey. And I'm probably never going to understand the cars at a super, super technical level just because I came to it late. Um, I, you know, I, I've, I've been watching motor racing for, for since I was born, but it's never going to be that granular thing. I'm curious when you are, when you were getting into it, um, what are the kind of educational steps you'd recommend to somebody who's trying to learn more about Formula One, how the cars are built, how the parts are put together? Um, if somebody wanted to start the journey to become an extremely bad version of Matthew Summerfield, uh, where, where would they start? Well, firstly, I think that you have to remember that Formula One and motorsport in general is very niche in many respects. Right. So when you're talking about from an educational standpoint, most of people's approaches will not be based around motorsport to get into motorsport. And similarly, when people exit Formula One, they have the same sort of issue because they've got this very narrow mindset to creating something that is a prototype that will literally last for one week's worth of performance, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and and then you're suddenly dealing with a whole new animal that that the next race. Um, And so it makes it very difficult for um, your experience to be able to be passed off in other industries. That's where I'm heading towards. Um, Obviously motorsport Valley being in the UK, kind of pushes people towards being in the UK to, to get involved with Formula mm-hmm. One. Obviously, then you, you you think that there are offshoots from that. You know, there's two teams in Italy, uh, mm-hmm. one in, in, in Switzerland. Um, and you can't really class, I suppose, Haas as an American team, although they're American-owned because... We can you know, try. Got, we can try, they, Matthew. You can. Uh, <laughs> but they've obviously got their base in the UK and much of what they do is, is built in Italy via Dallara. Right. So, you know, it's a, the, the thing to, to, to think about with Formula One is that it's a very niche environment to work within. Um, and, and much of what you learn within Formula One 
is sort of a microism of everything else around the world. You know, mm-hmm. stuff from the aviation industry has some crossover mm. with Formula One for argument's sake, but it's not it's not the same. Nothing's the mm-hmm. same in Formula One. Do you have books that you recommend if when people are are asking to get a, a more of a deep understanding of this? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're looking at it from a story perspective and um, understanding the sport at a base level, then I would suggest, as you mentioned earlier, Adrian Newey's book. Uh, there's a good one from John Barnard as well. If people don't know who John Barnard is, he was a designer for many of the teams. Uh, Obviously, Ferrari and McLaren being the the, the big ones uh, back in sort of the eighties and nineties, uh, and produced some phenomenal uh, innovations for the sport. Things like semi-automatic gearboxes, you know, mm-hmm. things that we take for granted now yeah. uh, that that back then were were massive for the sport. Uh, so his book is another one that I would recommend. And then, it, obviously, if you want to get into something a little bit deeper, then there are other race car engineering books that I'd probably recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, further down the line. Interesting. Um, couple of couple more for you. I want to start with you mentioned the adjustments and how a lot of a lot of insights are good for one week at a time, and then everybody else catches up with you. And obviously, it's usually the top teams everybody's catching up with. I remember Ross Braun said something that I think about all the time, where he said that he thought that there were some years where the team that won the first week would be if they made no adjustments would be dead last in the last week of the season. That's how quickly it goes, and that's not common in American basketball. That's not, you know, they, we just don't know that level of innovation where it's like, okay, you can just run the same stuff. I mean, people have been running cover two and cover three in football for, for 40 years and they don't really need to make that many changes with it, right? You know, Dick LeBeau got, 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 uh, got over for 40 years. Um, I'm curious how much, what goes into those sort of adjustments now? Uh, you know, just for someone who doesn't understand it as much, like what, how much can a team change in a week? And, and what are some examples of just kind of week over week changes in Formula One that have really made a huge difference? Okay, so I think that the thing to remember is that those week on week changes are things that have been scheduled probably 12 to 15 weeks ago. So right. Formula One operates in a, in a different sort of bubble in that respect. You know, it's not something that you can just go to do a, a, the next race and have a part. There are instances where that's possible, especially with things like 3D printing now, uh, where hmm. smaller components can be can actually be made at the circuit itself. Uh, but it, that is, you know, that does have some limited scope. When we're talking about things like floors, wings, etc., then there's a huge amount of planning that goes into not only getting them designed, then built, but also shipped to the, the different tracks. Um, which obviously you you know you have to consider the fact that one front wing won't work particularly well at one circuit whereas it will at another you know we have high low medium downforce configurations on cars uh, so you know if your schedule gets adjusted for whatever reason which 2020 was a fine example of this then obviously you end up in a situation where you can kind of be chasing your tail because you're mm-hmm. out of the, the the loop in terms of your development that's fascinating. Um, two more for you. First one is, you know, in we always talk here about who won the offseason. It's always some random team that signed a bunch of free agents and they're not actually going to be that good. But is there a, 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 mid, a mid-pack team that you think made all the right moves? It's going to be making noise that, that we didn't anticipate, Matthew. Well, I hate to call them a mid-pack team, but they've kind of got that from the last few years. You'd have to say that Ferrari have probably oh, got the... Oh, wow, wow. You know. that, that is tough news for Ferrari, the, the mid-pack team making noise. But no, I, I get it. Go ahead. Yeah, they've kind of been you know, pushed back over the last few years. Yeah. But I do feel, feel that this year they've kind of got all of their, you know, their, their bits and pieces in line. And I do feel like they've made a big leap forwards. Whether that is enough to vault them right to the front... We will have to see, but they certainly look as if they've made a big leap forward. In fact, what I will say is that because of these regulations and the we, the reason why we've moved to these regulations in the first place, I think that we have seen some of the the pack tightening up. You know, the midfield battle has always been incredibly tight, but you've always got this sort of distance between the front end and then the midfield. And I think perhaps we might see that that might you know get tuned a little bit closer to one another. Based on what you've seen so far. What does is, what is the top three look like this year for Constructors' Championship? Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, in my, in in that, my opinion. In that, Ferrari number one? I, I would say so close. I think there's a variable on circuit characteristics as well. So whoever wins in Bahrain 
don't expect them to win it in Saudi Arabia because it's a very okay. different layout, track layout, and that obviously then feeds into how they set their cars up and what they've got in terms of development between the two races. So you, if you were to, if you were then, do you have, is that just a constructors or is that a world driver championship as well that you, you would pick a Ferrari for? Um, I, I think the biggest problem that you've got with, with making that judgment very early on is that personally, I feel that out of the box, the Ferrari is very good, but does it have the scope to develop yeah. over the course of the season? And for me, for argument's sake, the Red Bull and the Mercedes designs are much more intricate and might take longer for them to get to work as they anticipate them to work. So you might see this sort of early lead from Ferrari, for argument's sake, but then mm-hmm. very quickly the other two overtake them based on you know the fact that they can outdevelop uh, their rival. It, it's going to be a fascinating season in that respect, if you ask me. It's going to be it's going to be wide open. I mean, it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be what I think if a lot of people got into F1 over the last two years, this is, this is the year where, um, there's, uh, there's a legitimate shakeup and I'm really fascinated to see it. Um, he's at summers S O M E R S F one on Twitter. He's great. He's Matthew Summerfield. Thank you so much for joining the F one show. 